When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Katie Barber. Now here's Jack Riccardi. All right, Katie. Thank you very much. Is this crazy? Do you think this is crazy? There was a vote yesterday in the House of Representatives to, um, and it was a non-binding resolution, and it was to say we support Ukraine's sovereignty in the face of the Russian invasion. And three members of Congress voted against it. They were all Republicans. Thomas Massey of Kentucky, Matt Rosendale of Montana, Paul Gosar of Arizona. One of the other Republicans, Adam Kinzinger, said it was crazy that anybody would vote against that resolution. Gosar retorted on Twitter, talk to me when our border is secure. And Massey said he opposed the resolution because he thought it was overly broad in its stated support for providing defense assistance to Ukraine. He also argued that uh, the calls for isolating Russia economically could backfire if innocent people in Russia suffer under harsh sanctions and develop resentments against America. Do you do you think it was crazy for any member of Congress to vote against this resolution? I mean, I get that everybody... This is sort of like the racism discussion, okay? Just as when the word racism is brought up, Everybody scurries to insist, to prove, to demonstrate that they are not racists. Ukraine is kind of like that now. Everybody, If you differ with people, you always have to quickly point out and reassure and emphasize that, of course, you support the people of Ukraine, and, of course, you don't support Putin and what he's doing, but, but, but. I, I, I guess, to me... Um, when we start talking about crazy, I look at the, the phase we're in now, and I think we're getting into the crazy part of this. I think it's crazy that our politicians are talking tough about Russia, but still buying Russian oil. I think it's crazy that they're buying Russian oil, but won't drill and produce more of ours. That's crazy. I think it's crazy that people are dumping vodka down the drain when only 1% of all the vodka in this country was produced in Russia. I also think it's crazy not to make a, a, a distinction between Putin and his army versus the people of Russia. You know, if you want to understand what I'm talking about, imagine that people in some faraway country are angry at Joe Biden or disgusted with Joe Biden, and I'm sure there are. And if they came to you and they said, um, we're blaming you or we're hanging this on you, you'd say, well, wait a minute, I didn't vote for him. I didn't vote for Joe Biden. Well, the people of Russia didn't vote for Vladimir Putin. At least not all of them. I know that's what the Russian election results show, but we know that's not true. We We, we can surmise safely that... He does not have 100% support or probably anywhere near it in Russia. So does it make sense? Is it sane or is it crazy if we are doing things 
that will ultimately hurt the Russian people, but won't hurt him. Do we have to hurt the Russian people to hurt him? Now, Joe Biden on Tuesday night was bragging about all the damage we've done to the Russian economy. He says the ruble has lost 30% of its value. Its stock market has lost 40% of its value. The Russian economy is on the rocks. So the, the Russian economy is, is being damaged. And imagine living in a country where the, the dollar is devalued and the stock market is crashed. And imagine how that would feel. And imagine being much poorer than you were a week ago, even though you didn't do anything, even though this is not your fault, even though you're powerless to stop it, even if you oppose it. And I'm sure there are Russians who do. We know there are. There have been demonstrations. But you can't do anything about it. Now, I get that in a global conflict, there will be collateral damage and there will be people hurt who we don't want hurt. And one of the things we lament about the 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 violence and the destruction in Ukraine is all of the civilian suffering. But and, and believe me when I say I'm not drawing a moral equivalence, I'm not saying we're doing the same thing, but we don't want to do the same thing is my point. We don't want to do the same thing. And I don't buy the argument some have put out that every Russian is now responsible. Believe me when I tell you, you would not want to be held responsible, personally responsible, for everything our government has done or governments over the years has done in other countries. You would not want that. So is there such a thing as an innocent Russian? Are innocent Russians the ones bearing the brunt, or will they be bearing the, bearing the brunt of what Biden was bragging about on Tuesday night? I'm asking. I'm not saying I know. But I don't think it's crazy to wonder about that. I don't think it's crazy that Tom Massey is thinking about that. And ultimately, I think we do have to think this through. So where are we going with this? Well, in some countries, if you made life miserable on the ground... The people would rise up and take out the leader. They would change the regime. And you, you do this sometimes, what we're doing right now, you do this sort of kind of hoping that will be the case. Like, yeah, if it gets bad enough, they'll change regimes. Well, first of all, the Russian people are in no position to rise up and overthrow Putin. And even if somehow they did, or one of his oligarchs took him out, or one of his generals uh, decided to Julius Caesar him, that doesn't mean it's all over. That doesn't mean everything goes back to hunky-dory. They don't have a, a, a line of succession. They don't have, they don't have some, some Madisonian Democrat waiting in the wings to make it okay. What happens to Russia after Vladimir Putin? You think Putin is bad? I can tell you what would be worse. What would be worse would be chaos with no one in charge and a country with nuclear weapons. So we've already tried cutting countries out of the community of nations or the brotherhood of nations, right? We did it with uh, Iran. We did it with North Korea. And those countries are still dangerous. They're now just a lot less predictable and more inscrutable. So the people that are telling you they're doing the right thing by crashing the Russian economy have already proved to us they don't really understand economies because they don't understand ours. 
Keep in mind, when you're hearing them describe the brilliance of their plan, they've wrecked the greatest economy in the world. So how much do they really know about how this stuff works or how it plays out? These were also the same people that thought it would be a good idea to defund the police, despite what Joe Biden said on Tuesday night. So these are not smart people. These are not people whose track record in foreign policy, economic policy, domestic policy gives one confidence. These are also people that never own their mistakes, never apologize for what happens later on. And if one of the things that happens later on is massive Russian cyber attacks that take down our power grids, that take down our commerce, you can be sure they will not take any ownership of that. They will continue to say, well, that's him, and they'll probably also have some blame for Trump in that somehow, too. He didn't do enough while he was president or something like that. So as these uh, Western sanctions continue to take effect, and we're all, yes, of course, we're pulling for the Ukrainian people, I want to think about some other people, too, and what we're doing to them, and whether it's what we really want to do, what we want our national expression about this to be. And just because it feels good doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing to do, like pouring the vodka down the drain. 210-599-5555. Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida went to a news conference yesterday at the University of South Florida. He saw students wearing masks. It made him angry. This is what it sounded like. Take a listen. to wear those masks. I mean, please take them <laughs> Honestly, it's not doing anything, and we got to stop with this COVID theater. So if you want to wear it, fine, but this is, a, this is ridiculous. All right, well, it's good to be at USF. All right, so he saw the students. He, he told them they could take their masks off. He was kind of uh, upset about it. Now there's a lot of people upset with Ron DeSantis. This goes to what we were talking about last night with politicians uh, – and, and and being blunt and being outspoken, I, I'm sorry. He has nothing to apologize for. He has nothing. He's done nothing wrong. If politicians can order people into masks with no science and continue ordering them into masks, even when the science proves they're not effective, then it's certainly all right to express your opinion about them, which is all he did. He didn't mandate anything. He didn't rip any masks off people's faces. There were no punishments doled out. Good for him. I hope he doesn't apologize. It's a bad sign if he does. To give you an idea of how little science there is behind masking, the um, state of California and the county of Los Angeles have both announced they're dropping their mask mandates. Never thought you'd live to see the day, right? But it's supposed to happen on March 12th. But the school district, the Los Angeles Unified School District, cannot drop its mask mandate. You know why? Because the union won't let them. The teachers union, UTLA, won't let them. And the reason they won't let them is because they actually negotiated with the union and part of the teachers coming back to the classroom was enforced masking for all of the 2021-2022 school year. Meaning that no matter what the science shows, no matter what case numbers show, this is what's driving the lifting of mask mandates, we're told, right? We're told it's the science. We, You and I think it might be the politics and the calendar, but if it's the science, apparently unions trump science. Next time somebody tells you follow the science, 
remind them of the teachers' union in Los Angeles. And then we had our primary on Tuesday, and nearly 3 million Texans voted when you combine the early voting, the mail voting, and the election day voting. To put that in perspective, the last time we had a midterm primary cycle was 2018. 2.6 million voted in 2018. So in 2022, when we had the Texas integrity election integrity measures in place, they didn't suppress the vote. The vote went up. It went up all over the state. It went up particularly in the border counties, where a lot of those people who are described to us as helpless and, 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 and suppressed by voter ID requirements, their voting went up especially high. Every Republican primary in a congressional border county saw increased turnout. So they predicted it would be dismal. They predicted there'd be chaos at the polling places. It did not happen. It never does when states follow the law, make elections safer, make voting safer, make it verifiable. It never suppresses the vote. The people who claim that it does will continue to claim that. But now you know what really happened. They're investigating voter uh, uh, fraud in Wisconsin, which was one of the close presidential states. I think Wisconsin was about a 12,000 vote margin between Trump and uh, Biden back in 2020. They've appointed a respected, retired state Supreme Court judge to audit uh, how uh, absentee balloting was done in more than 90 nursing homes across several counties in Wisconsin. So far, they have found widespread fraud and abuse in every one of the nursing homes they've looked into. Every one of them broke the rules. 13,000 vote margin. Every nursing home they've looked at so far. We're joined on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line by retired Army Major John Spencer, uh, who's the chair of Urban Warfare Studies with the Madison Policy Forum and an expert on... Uh, urban warfare, which is what we're headed for uh, in Ukraine. And, uh, Major, it's good to have you with us. Good afternoon to you. Hey, Jack. Thanks for having me. It's become very popular because people are inspired by the the pluck and the, and the, uh, the fight in the Ukrainians. It's been very popular to start talking about this as if Putin has already lost um, yeah. and I, I, you know, I mean, it may be that he wins a hollow victory in some ways, but isn't it a little premature to be writing him off or saying this has been a disaster for him? Yeah, I'd say absolutely. This, this war has just begun, to be honest. I agree that we should all, Ukrainians are the good guys, and, and they can win by, in our support, just sheer standing with them and sheer hope. Um, hope on the battlefield is just as powerful, if not more, than his Russians demoralized, so incompetent soldiers. But yeah, absolutely, this war has just begun. Russia's still advancing with some very nasty stuff. Yeah, I mean, he really hasn't used every capability, and certainly not every every you know man and every weapon that he has he may have to put more into this than he thought he would but um should we be expecting this to get a lot worse before we really know how it turns out yeah absolutely we he hasn't even implemented russian doctrine up to this point which is since the second battles of of chechnya that grozny and syria russian doctrine calls for way more fires as in 
bombing of cities than we've seen. As that column, the main effort kind of moves from that north, the one that's stalled and we should be, you know, they should be um, attacking as much as possible. Once it hits and it gets closer, it's going to be stuff that we haven't seen since World War II, sheer ear destruction, civilian deaths. Uh, it's going to be bad. You were saying in an interview I saw that um, Ukraine doesn't have to defeat Russia. It just has to not lose. What does that mean? Yeah, so war, all war is politics. Uh, but every day that Ukraine doesn't lose, it's winning. And we all see that, right? We see European countries that would never stand up to Russia sending support. And they can't engage in direct conflict with Russia. But every day, somebody else is, is, is helping. Every day. And then if Ukraine doesn't lose, Russia is is not winning every day. And it's losing its support in its country. We see the protests. Its soldiers are getting demoralized. I mean, war is also about will. The mm-hmm. Ukrainians have shown, shown us what nobody in a long time has shown us, which is really the ultimate passion to fight for their country. Uh, it's amazing. We know that when you um, are fighting for your own soil, it's an entirely different thing than when you were sent to a faraway place to follow orders you may not completely understand or even agree with. So th- that's certainly an advantage for Ukrainians, and they're on their own turf. They know their streets. They know their neighborhoods. Um, but on the other hand, sometimes you can overcome that with massive amounts of technology and, and manpower. Can Russia overcome that? Um, they could. Um, based on my research over 10 years of urban warfare, right, from from Stalingrad to you know, the Battle of Mosul most recently, it's not bringing what it would need to do that. And it's facing stiffer resistance. The urban terrain is called the Great Equalizer for a reason. Inside the urban terrain, all the world's most powerful technologies are not, you know, they're not neutralized, but they're greatly reduced. And the soldiers fear urban warfare. And these soldiers are, you know, they're not American soldiers. I had two deployments. I I was part of the invasion in Iraq in 2003, went back for a major battle in 2008. These Russian soldiers aren't aren't American soldiers. Mm -hmm. This is going to be hell for them, too. Yeah, and I mean, unlike the Americans who at least could find, uh, you know, they could find people in Iraq, ally with them, uh, partner with them, um, there isn't going to be anything like that, most likely, on the ground in Ukraine. Every Ukrainian is an enemy for them. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I actually was a part of the invasion where we were greeted by um, very happy people, especially in northern Iraq, in, in parades. We're trying to get through them. <laughs> Russia's not going to get that, for sure. It's going to get, even if it, let's say, worst-case scenario, the horrific, and, and, and somehow they get to get Kiev, which hopefully they don't, because this is all about, the capital, the seat of political power. Russia will face a protracted, protracted urban insurgency that they haven't been experienced, even in Afghanistan. It won't be as violent as what they will face if they do what they want. The other thing that bogs down major powers and empires is obviously long-term occupation. Do you, do you imagine or expect, based on your studies, that they would try to hold it? Or do you think they would try to, you know, at some point declare victory, put in some kind of puppet government, and get out? No, they can't. So they have to support that puppet government with some type of force um, and threat of force. So 
you know, in this phase, even they don't have enough. Um, you know, the numbers you need in a counterinsurgency, which is what's guaranteed they'll face, the, the number of troops versus the population you need, um, it would have to invest major amounts of resources to be able to do that. Uh, it, it won't, absolutely not. It won't be just, in my opinion, you know, as, an, as a, a long-time soldier, it won't be just public government and leave. No. All right. Retired Army Major John Spencer, Madison Policy Forum, and hope we can call on you again. Very interesting uh, stuff, very interesting insights on this. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Um, talked about Ron DeSantis uh, telling the students, take those masks off. And we're talking about Ukraine. Now, it doesn't take a, it doesn't take a foreign policy expert to look at this thing and go, boy, these, these people are brave. And they're, they're tough and they're admirable. And, and also to feel for them. You see their, their cities and their communities devastated. Um, you realize that, you know, the United States is the only country on earth where when there's massive devastation or destruction, we don't wonder if we can afford to rebuild the city of New Orleans after Katrina or, uh, you know, Gulf Coast regions after a flood or, or hurricane damage or, or, or even, even, um, the, the devastating attack on lower Manhattan on 9-11. We don't wonder if we'll have the money, but we're the only country in the world that doesn't have any doubt about that. In every other country of the world, they can't print more money. They can't simply, you know, snap their fingers and and move billions or trillions of dollars around like we do. You can argue that we shouldn't, but we we do. So when you look at Ukraine, you see that some of these people will never live to see normal again. It doesn't take an expert to see that. We're good with that. Having said that, the people that are telling you right now, here's what we're going to do, and this will be the right thing to do, and this is the response, they don't understand our economy. They don't understand your life. They don't understand how the things they do are devastating and damaging to your livelihood or your economy. I mean, they don't. Whether it's gas prices, grocery prices, taxes, schools, they don't. So when they tell you we know what we're doing with these economic sanctions on Russia, I'm going to tell you I don't think they do. Putin is our enemy. 150 million Russians are not. How do we know that what we're doing right now isn't just dumping a lot of this misery onto them? When I hear about the devaluing of the ruble, that's what I wonder about. If you're going to tell me, well, Jack, there's no other way, then I hope somebody smarter than me is thinking through the effects of this. Because even during the Cold War, and the worst moments of the Cold War, you can talk to any Russian dissident, and I've interviewed many of them. Russians didn't hate Americans. They wanted Coca-Cola and blue jeans and rock and roll. And... Elvis records were smuggled with the same, uh, you know, reference that Bibles were. So we've gone from that to potentially maybe a situation where 
they're going to think uh, the, the, these Americans, these Westerners, just don't care what happens. And don't kid yourself into thinking, well, they, they know what they need to do. They can't do anything about Putin. The Russian people can't do anything about Putin. There are people who probably could do something about him. Like I would imagine there are people close to him, if they can get close to him at that long table. But, I mean, seriously, I'm not saying he's untouchable or he's 20 feet tall, but he's beyond the reach of the, 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 the man in the street, is my point. So, hopefully, and right now you may be thinking, Jack, what do you know about this? I, I don't know anything about it. I'm just asking these questions. Hopefully, somebody has figured out how not to lose the support of whoever could change things there, if there is someone. But I'm not optimistic because, again, I come back to we're being led by stupid people. They may have smart people advising them and suggesting things to them and sliding notes over to them. I'm sure they do. I'm sure we have brilliant people in the CIA. I'm sure we have brilliant people in the DOD and the State Department. Don't laugh when I say that because I'm sure we do. But they're not the people you're seeing on television. 210-599-5555. And I also keep coming back to something that we talked about before all this started, when when sanctions were just uh, a hypothetical. And it was something I heard a lot of people say, and I, I came to believe it myself, and that is that um, before he went in, and, and, and we now know, by the way, that he was planning to go in during the Olympics, and China asked him to wait till the Olympics were over. So we finally found out the Olympics were good for something after all. But anyway, he waited till after the Olympics were over. The day after the closing ceremonies is when he declared those two breakaway republics and this whole thing began. We, we now know that he had the plan. He was, you know, ready to pull the trigger. China said, wait a little bit. He did. Didn't, doesn't that also mean that he's priced into his plans all the things that we have available to us? Unless we have a secret weapon that he doesn't know about, and we're, we're, we're saying we're not going to do anything militarily, we're not going to go to war. But as far as things like sanctions and the potential targets of sanctions... He knows what they are. He knew what they were. He has people telling him they could do this, they could do this. Here's a list of things they could sanction. These oligarchs that he's allied with, they must have been burning up the phone lines, asking him, what what should I do? Where should I park my yacht? Where should I move my money? I have to think they've done all that. We like to think that they're all, you know, crapping in their pants right now. But that would presume that they had no idea any of this was coming. That's, that's a fantasy Biden people like to, to, you know, float around. Even the president Tuesday night said he has no idea what's coming. That would really make Putin pretty stupid, wouldn't it? And I've never heard anybody describe him as stupid. I've never even heard his detractors describe him as stupid. I mean, even the, even the, 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 the most vehement, Russian dissidents, people that have escaped that regime, the people that hate him with a white-hot fury, absolutely none of them that I know of have ever said he's a, he's a, he's a nitwit. 
And then there's something else I keep thinking about. And again, this is not to go soft on Ukraine or Ukrainians, but there's a theory in in warfare that you leave what's called the Golden Bridge. You have to leave your... Uh, this, is, this is Sun Tzu, in fact, the Art of War guy. He said, build your opponent a golden bridge. And what he means by that is that at some point, there has to be a way for him to climb down from what he's taken or what he's done. And so the advice of this famous war strategist was build a golden bridge. And we've seen in many other wars attempts to offer the losing side or the struggling side a way out, an off-ramp. Now, they don't always take it. It's not not always possible. The Japanese would not take an off-ramp in World War II. But in many wars, they do. Because the dictator or the the guy in charge wants to remain in charge. He wants to save face for his country, but he really wants to save his his deal, his butt. So if this if there's any chance of unsticking Vladimir Putin from this mess, then you've got to have some kind of there has to be some kind of golden bridge. I don't know that they're keeping that open. And if we're not doing that, and if Major Spencer is right, and if it's just going to get worse and worse and deeper and deeper, and this is going to be a, like a black hole of of dead soldiers and disabled tanks and, you know, downed helicopters and the, the Russian people are starving and everything else, you got to think at some point Putin goes for the grand gesture. He goes for the big, the big move. That's the thing nobody wants to see happen here, right? I kind of, I, I've begun to think, how does that not happen <laughs> if these people are right in the way they say this is going to go? So those are, those are just the things I'm thinking about. I'm not telling you I know how this will end. But I'm not sure the people leading us know how it will end either or even care. I'm pretty sure I know what they care about. They want to look like they're doing the right thing. They want to look like they care. They want to correct for the fact that initially they look like a bunch of weaklings. They see that the Ukrainian cause is very popular. They want some of that. And they will not take ownership if this doesn't go well or end well. They will not say, well, it's on us, or we didn't see that coming, or we didn't have a plan for that. You know that, right? You just went through COVID. Has anybody apologized to you? Has anybody told you, sorry, we, we made the wrong call, we got that wrong, we didn't do that right, we weren't ready? Has anyone in any political party said that to you? So I have yet to hear that from anybody. I, I think a lot of our politicians right now take a very um, kind of facile view of this thing. Like, you know, put that Ukrainian flag lapel pin on, wear that flag lapel, talk a lot about the Ukrainian people and how plucky they are. But that's not a policy. That's just an emotion. And And... Doing the things we've done, and, and I have no sympathy for Putin, and I have no sympathy for the oligarchs, but again, doing the things we've done is going to have a lot of uh, domino effects that we're all going to live with for a long time. And as you heard Major Spencer say, they also haven't really yet begun to use all of the things in their toolbox, but they will. 
I heard the president say Tuesday night, and he said it before, um, we don't want a war, we're not going to fight a war on the ground, we're not going to send American troops into Ukraine. But he then says in the next breath, but if Putin was to attack a NATO country, then we would fight and defend every inch. So all the things you're worried about, you may be worried about nuclear weapons, you may be worried about massive cyber attacks. If you're worried about him doing that in the event that we fight over Ukraine, then you need to be worried about him doing that if we fight over Lithuania or Poland. Just saying. It's not like the the rules would be different for him. The rules are the same for him. So we, we're drawing this, this line where we're saying, well, not in Ukraine, but definitely over here in these other countries. I don't think that's a line that means anything to him. I think he knew we would not fight in Ukraine. I think he believes he knows we really wouldn't fight over Lithuania or Estonia. Do you think we would? you really think we would? That would be completely different. 210-599-5555. Scott is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Scott, good afternoon. Hi, Jack. Great show. Uh, hope you got out to see the great weather today. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I just wanted to call. I've been listening to you, and I agree with everything you're saying. Absolutely, 100%. In fact, uh, I served in Korea under Ronald Reagan, you know, back in the old days. And... uh the Russians, the communists, and, and, and don't let anybody be fooled. Putin sees himself as the modern-day Stalin, mm-hmm. almost. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do have to say that their military has not shown itself to be as a... It, now, I know they haven't unleashed everything that they have. Right. Uh, I, I'm quite aware of that, but... Right. They haven't made the gains that they thought they would. No. But uh, you're right. Uh, when they unleash hell, they will. And uh, But I think the Ukrainians, just like in World War II, the Yugoslavs, and I'm a, I'm a history buff like you. Uh, I love history. Uh, those that don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Yugoslavs and uh, uh, I'm sorry, I can't think of it. You know, there are a lot of uh, Eastern European fought the Nazis. You know, they fought the Nazis tooth and nail. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I think that, might be different know, now, though, Scott, is that w- yeah. when I think about the Cold War, and you're you're talking about having served in the Cold War and and yeah. uh, how we stood up during the Cold War, but in the Cold War, the the Russian people were craving Western uh, goods and culture, and they knew that they were uh, in the you know they were they were they were being done in by their own people. But we had a propaganda machine that we were reaching them with, right? We were doing Radio Free Europe, we were doing Radio Liberty, we we're doing all this stuff. I don't know that the Russian people today couldn't be completely brainwashed. I don't mean every single one of them, but a lot of them to think that Putin is saving them from the West, that he is protecting them from from Nazis or neo-Nazis or or imperialists or whatever. And so I I wonder if we when we crash their economy, if we're not driving some of them into his arms. 
Uh, I have to agree with you. And, in fact, that was the original thing I wanted to call on. I told your uh, phone caller. Right now, social media is a big deal. And I think the Russian people are seeing what's going on, and they're not with Putin. But if this drags on and the Russian people really start hurting, they might start blaming us. Now, right, That's what right I wonder now, about. I think I, I think that we have the Russian people on our side. But mm-hmm. like you said, they, they, there's no way they're going to topple Putin. You just got to think. We got to think this through on. because the stuff that feels good to do may not be the oh. right thing to do. Right? Oh yeah. I, well, I hate to. I was just up at the liquor store, and I asked him. I said, "Hey, are you throwing out Russian vodka?" And he's like, "No." And we started. I said, "How ridiculous is it?" For liquor stores to throw out vodka that they've already paid for. They've already paid for, that's right. Scott, I appreciate the call. Great call. Thank you, sir. And thanks for your service, too. 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. Yeah, I mean, we, I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything we're going to argue about, most likely. You're not going to find that I'm, I, I disagree with you about the, the 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 way the Ukrainian people have stood up and all of that it's it's fantastic. Um, like many of you, I wish we could do more. I wish we had done more. I wish we had never put ourselves in the position uh, where this looked doable for him. And I think we did do our do that and put ourselves in that position. But now is a dangerous moment because now leaders are looking at poll numbers. They're feeling the heat, and they're they're tempted to do things that are splashy. And look bold, but the way our system works, you, when you do something as a politician that has ramifications for ten or twenty years down the road, you don't worry, you don't care, you won't be in that office anymore, you won't be held responsible for what the effects of that are. That's very dangerous because we're doing things right now that people will remember for a long time. We want those to be the right kinds of memories. Do we have anybody uh, who went to UNT, University of North Texas? They're in the news today. Let me tell you the story. So yesterday, University of North Texas Young Conservatives Club had as a guest speaker a man named Jeffrey Younger. Jeffrey Younger's been in the news because he's a divorced dad who lost custody of his young son because he did not want to recognize his son as a girl. Uh, Younger's ex-wife, who was not the biological mother of the child, is the one who is pushing the child to be trans. I think he's seven or eight years old now. This started when he was even younger. Pardon the pun. So Jeffrey Younger was invited to speak at this event that young conservatives put on in Denton at University of North Texas. And you know what happens these days when a guest speaker uh, appears on a college campus, students turn out to respectfully listen and learn a different point of view and find out about a different take or a different attitude or opinion than their own. No, they don't. (laughs) That's what's supposed to happen, but that's not what does happen so he's been in the news they knew he was they knew he was coming the event was promoted on campus he stands up to speak and this is what the students at unt greeted jeffrey younger with and there's bad language here i'm warning you now kids in the car turn the radio down this offends you 
You need to hear what they said. This is what they did. They're saying, F you, fascist. F you, fascist. So he's a father who lost his son to the government. I I don't know what definition of fascist you would be using here. Of course, you're not using any definition of it. Fascist is just one more word that ignoramuses throw around like racist. Don't have to know what it means. Doesn't have to mean anything. It's just a put down. It's just a word that means I'm not going to listen to you. I don't have to listen to you. Of course, the definition of fascist actually is someone who colludes with government. So he is literally the opposite of a fascist. He is um, a man who has a perspective on trans children that I think is relevant, even if you don't agree with him. He should have the right to express his opinion, particularly at a university without being taunted and harassed by a bunch of immature jackasses who are using a word they don't even know the meaning of. I'm not worried about him. He'll be fine. He's got a much bigger problem with his own family than he than he does with these students at North Texas. What, what I am worried about is time after time after time, when we pull back the curtain on higher education... We're seeing this kind of intolerance. And we're seeing it all over, you know? When we first started talking about these kinds of phenomena, they were in California or Oregon or Massachusetts, and you could say, well, you know, you, if you go to school up there, you're, you're, in, you know, you're in their territory. But this is all over the place. This is wherever higher education opens shop. And... You can say, well, hey, we were all idiots when we were 18 or 20 or 22. I'll, I'll completely agree with you about that. But we didn't stay idiots. Most of us. <laughs> all right, some of us. But I don't, I do not hear in these voices anything that gives me hope for critical thinking, Revisiting one's position, seeing it from the other point of view. And of course, this is about, purportedly, tolerance for trans people, which I'm fine. If you're an adult, I'm, I'm fine with tolerance for you. I'll even speak for it. I, I will, I will support tolerance for you as an adult. But I'm not going to say that the government knows better than a custodial parent which gender a child should be. I'm not going to say that a a child knows that they need to change their gender. I I don't see any way in which that makes any kind of sense. And you could say, read a book, take a course. That still would not make any sense to me. And so the problem here isn't the trans issue. The problem here is the we have all the answers. We will not listen to anything else. We will violently shut you down if you say something we don't like or agree with. What kind of world is this going to be when these students are running it? And they will be at some point. 
you know, you might say, well, Jack, I never go to a college campus. I don't care about this. But you have to go out into the world that they're going to be in charge of very soon. Now, the story goes on. So the, the event descends into chaos. The organizer of the event is this young uh, student, female student. The campus police say to her, we need to get you out of here uh, because they've identified her now and they're coming at her. They fail to get her out of the building. They cannot break through the ranks. There's even more crazies outside than there are inside screaming F.U. fascist. So now this young lady hides in a janitor's closet until the protesters, rioters, whatever you want to call them, go home. This is not okay. (laughs) This is not all right. At a moment when we're supposed to be standing up for our values and 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 recognizing in in ukrainians uh, the ukrainian people uh kindred spirits right people that value liberty and self-determination we're not doing a good job right under our own noses i I, i'm going to call some people out here when something like this is in the news it's in the news for a day and then it goes away and we move on I want to know, who are the professors? What is the discussion about this incident the next day in the classroom? Are they egging on the students? Are they patting on the back? That was awesome. Good job. Or are they telling them, as they should, that you ought to be ashamed of yourself? Where is the administration? Do they take any responsibility for people almost getting hurt? could very easily have gotten killed. What about the parents who send their kids to these schools? What if you were watching the video and you recognized your own son or daughter? Are you okay with this? I mean, I know I know they weren't like this when you sent them to UNT. Are, are you really okay with what's happening? And if you are the parent of a college-age student, do you know what they're doing on that campus, and I don't mean that in the way that we usually mean it. It's ten o'clock. Do you know where your son is or your daughter is? I'm talking about. Do you know? Do you know what's happening to their soul? Do you care? So there was a big brouhaha at University of North Texas when a father whose son had been taken from him because his ex-wife wanted him to become a girl, little boy. And um, this man has been speaking out about this. And look, wh- whatever side of this you're on, this is a legit issue. This is a legit uh, multi-level, multifaceted conversation. It involves not just uh, gender and trans, but it also involves the power of government, the appropriate use of, of one of the most awesome powers government has, which is to step into the nuclear household, the nuclear family, and remove a member. It's an incredibly big responsibility. I don't think we are asking the right questions about the behavior on college campuses. It's easy to joke about it. It's easy to throw up your hands and say, well, it's just the way it is, or it's a lost cause. There's no 
question about responsibility here. And here's something else. Now, you might think, well, Jack, you have one of these stories every few days, so obviously this is the direction our culture is going in, and I don't know why you even bother. I have people say to me, I don't even know why you bother, because uh, we get it. It, 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 it. It's gone crazy. Higher education's gone crazy. I, here's why I, I keep bringing it up, and maybe I'm banging my head against the wall. And maybe I'm banging your head against the wall. But here's why I'm bringing it up. Don't you think there might be something kind of systemic about this? Don't you think the fact that it is happening everywhere all at once might be more than a coincidence? It's not just like something's in the water or something's in the air. It's not like it's a virus where, oh, well, it just spreads. You know, we don't know how. Don't you care about the fact that there is an agenda to brainwash an entire generation, at least as many of them as pass through the halls of higher education? Are you not worried about what that means for the immediate future of the country? When you think about fighting Russia, standing up to China, uh, challenges of the future, the people that are acting like this now will be in positions of power and responsibility and decision-making day after tomorrow. We could hope that this is all just some kind of crazy thing, that just like the, the 80s haircut you and I had, we'll, they'll just outgrow it, and they'll be embarrassed, and when they're reminded of how they acted, oh, they'll just blush. I don't know. I don't know. I kind of like to look into that. And I wonder, I find myself wondering more and more, I don't think this is coincidental. I think it's very, very well organized. I think it's made to look chaotic and random, but it's not. 210-599-5555. And, you know, we're, we're raising a generation that insists it has the right to speak out. It asserts its freedoms. Okay? But it does not believe everyone has them. So these students, if you tried to shut them down, would start screaming about the First Amendment. Missing the irony of this other guy's right to speak as well. I think that's a problem. I don't think that's like having a crazy haircut or wearing some you know, clothes that will go out of style in a few years. Hoping that people outgrow this attitude and this this denunciation of people they disagree with as fascists, that's a pretty big thing to hope for. Uh, John is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. John, good afternoon. Hi, uh, yeah. I just wanted to make a comment about this. Uh, you know, I've, and recently I've been listening to a lot of uh, this guy. His name is John Taylor Gatto. And uh, he talks a lot about how the institution, the public institution of school, has dumbed down the children so much so that we can't even think critically anymore, obviously you know, by what we're saying. But, I mean, just think about it. We voluntarily give up our children to this institution at a very young age, and we expect these people to uphold the same standards that we have, which is impossible to do because it's ran by the state. I mean, ever since, like, I guess, uh, you know, after Reconstruction, the Civil War, you know, we've had this ongoing institution that has totally destroyed any free thought, any, any critical thinking of any sort, 
you know, the family nucleus is totally obliterated. You know, so you got to think, what is the problem with these kids? It's the school. It's public school. If we train our children up, like the Bible says, in the ways of the Lord, or if we just bring them up with, you know, critical thinking just at the very base of it, these kids would be better off. And if we bring them up in families that are, are nurturing like we should, we wouldn't have we wouldn't see this problem, but it's because we passed. It so you're off. saying, John, you're basically saying if you want it done right, you have to do it yourself. Well, isn't that the foundation of our country? Do it yourself. Well, I'm just trying to. I'm just asking you. Yeah, you're you're saying. No, no, I'm not. I'm you're, not so you're I'm saying. Not yeah, absolutely. I. I'm, that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. If you want something okay. done right, you got to do it yourself. Of course. Okay. Um. You know that that may be that may be that may be the only answer because Lord knows, um, and and you make a good point. Uh, if they get to college and they have been through what we are now seeing happening in the public schools, um, it probably is too late. But I, I keep coming back to the question, and you're answering it one way, which is you you have to do all of this yourself. You cannot farm out or or hire out the education of your kids. Um, and maybe that is the answer, but I don't think it's good enough to say, well, this is a fad. We were all crazy. Look at the music we listened to or look at how we wore our hair. That's not the same thing. And I think we're deluding ourselves into thinking that's the same thing as being a crazy campus radical in the year 2022, even campus radicals. If you think about like the Vietnam war era or the nuclear freeze era, they didn't stay locked into that position of ignorance. There was evolution and growth. And I'm, I'm wondering about it in this case. Gilbert is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Hi, Gilbert. How you doing, Jack? Yeah, so you're referencing these students and these kids and talking about that they're going to be leaders tomorrow. They're already there. You've got the AOCs. You've got Maxine mm-hmm. Waters. She's older than dirt acting like a child, telling people to get in people's faces and and cause ruckus and and just, you know, chaos if things don't go their way, if they don't agree. It's it's bad. It's only going to get worse. Mm -hmm. I will say, with, with the generation of Maxine Waters, bless her heart, she knows better. She's just aping the current style. AOC and younger, I worry that they don't even, that they don't even know. That they don't even know. When they're calling other people fascists, they don't realize they are the fascists. Okay. If you're in government, if you're aligned with government, you're the fascist. <laughs> the guy that's fighting an action of government against his family is not the fascist. And when fascism comes, you can't resist it if you don't even know what the word means. You don't even know what it is. You know, you, you don't want to be waiting for what has happened in Ukraine. You, you don't want to have your back against the wall. You want to save your country. You want to save your, you know, Western civilization. You want to save your personal freedoms before there's a tank pointed at you. And sadly, I just, I, I don't think this generation, I, I, I'm not saying all of them. I'm not trying to paint them all with one brush, but I'm afraid a lot of them are way far gone, way worse off than people want to realize, want to think about. Because again, you want to think, well, 
misspent youth or we all have regrets from our youth. This isn't like I listened to some bad music when I was that age or I went with a guy that I really shouldn't have been with at that age. This is something else. And I think it's very, I think it's very well organized and orchestrated. I don't think it just happens. I don't think it's just a fad they pick up like, oh, well, they just fall in with other like-minded people and it's just trendy. I, I, I wish that was true. Maybe it is. Increasingly, I don't think so. Um, we're going to be talking in the next half hour to a good friend of our show, Azra Nomani. She's a parent, uh, up in Virginia who has been fighting and tangling over critical race theory and meritocracy with uh, the school her kids went to, Thomas Jefferson High School. Talked about that, I think, a day or two ago with Kenny Shu. But anyway, Azra Nomani uh, is very outspoken on the subject of critical race theory. She's also kind of red-pilled on it because she was a liberal Democrat, and, and I guess still is a liberal Democrat on a lot of other things, but on the issue of what they're teaching kids and how they are dividing kids uh, with race, uh, she's she's a mama bear. She's tough. So she goes before a um, House committee chaired by Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee. And um, she's testifying before the committee. And at one point, while Congresswoman Lee is speaking... Azra Nomani holds up her iPhone to record Congresswoman Lee. I don't know if that happens very often, but it absolutely unhinged Sheila Jackson Lee. I want you to hear how this sounds and how it ends. Cut number one, Don. We are grateful that the courts have responded to perceived discrimination. Uh, But in any event, what I would uh, clearly say... And you need to put down your camera, please. You need to put down your camera. You need to put down your camera. I understand that, but I need the witness. Why do I have to put down my camera? Because I'm already on video, so I don't need to be on yours. I mean, this is free speech. I've asked respectfully, and you choose not to be respectful, and so I will allow you to continue on. Thank you so very much. But in any event, stop it there. Let me stop it there. So we edited that a little bit, but what happened was. she tells Azra, you know, you can't do that. A guy comes up to her who appears to be an aide or a staffer for the committee, not another member of Congress, but a, a, an employee of the committee, comes up to Sheila Jackson Lee, whispers in her ear, shakes his head. I'm pretty sure he's telling her, you, you don't have, uh, you're not in the right here. <laughs> you don't, there's no rule against somebody videoing you at a open congressional hearing. So Azra Nomani continued to video, and Sheila Jackson Lee pouted and said, well, I asked you nice, but I guess I'm going to let you keep doing it. She had to let her keep doing it. We'll talk about this with Azra Nomani here in about 30 minutes, but but here's a, here's a question. Have you ever known a politician to run away from a camera? Well, yeah, a few times, Jack. I've seen it. When politicians run away from a camera, why is that? Isn't it because they're doing something wrong? Or they've been caught doing something wrong? Their normal behavior, I've studied them in their natural habitat for a long time, is to run toward a camera. In fact, 
one of the most dangerous places you will ever be is between a politician and a camera. Look out. It's not safe. You can get hurt. They love being on camera. Why does Sheila Jackson Lee not want to be on camera during this hearing? Why is she concerned that Azra Nomani, who's standing there, or sitting there watching her, respectfully listening to her? By the way, Azra's wearing a t shirt that says, I'm a mom, not a domestic terrorist. Love that. I want one for dads. I'd wear that. I'd wear the hell out of that thing. I would. But um, why is she concerned about being on video? So the the attitude is not we work for you, we're public servants. The attitude is you don't need to be doing that. I'm already on video. I guess I would be in the wrong if I wanted to take some notes because somebody's probably already taking notes too. The people running the show right now have very high regard for themselves and very low regard for you. I'll give you another example here. I want to play this for you. So they're interviewing President Biden's energy secretary, Jennifer Granholm, who is a terrible person. I'm sorry, but she is. She was a dreadful governor of Michigan. Uh, she has no, she's in way over her head as energy secretary. She's already demonstrated, uh, Virtually no understanding of even how our energy economy works. They're interviewing her about higher gas prices. And this is her explanation of why we're paying higher gas prices and why you need to be okay with it. You need to be okay with it. You need to just settle down about these higher pump prices. Cut number four. But the bottom line is that this president and this administration are looking at every single tool to shield American families from the impact of rising energy prices. And we're working through, we're working through an energy transition. And we've got to start by adding energy. And the reality is we have to take some time to get off of oil and gas. We recognize this. This is a transition. Okay. Um, I don't know if she understands even what she's saying, but We are, at this very moment, still buying half a million barrels of Russian oil a day. But we're not buying our own. We're not drilling, extracting, refining, relying on our own. So, for starters, we need oil so badly that we're buying it from a country we won't do anything else with right now. Okay? You can't, you, you can't have Russian vodka. You can't watch Russian movies. You can't, I mean, nothing. But Russian oil, that's okay. We're sanctioning all these other sectors. We're taking down their television channels. We're buying their oil. And then she's saying, well, this is a transition. We have to get off oil and gas. Now, we don't have to get off oil and gas. That's a choice, not a uh, uh, something that we're forced to do. But even if it is their choice, and 
they're the ones making the choice. Imagine saying to people right now at this moment, suck it up, we're, we're getting you off oil and gas. Not, hey, we'll do everything we can to get it to the marketplace because we know right now you need it. We know the car in your driveway right now runs on it. We, we expect in the future that will not be the case, but we know right now it is 99.9% of you. No. How many windmills is it going to take? How many solar panels is it going to take? This is why I keep saying, and I know it sounds kind of crazy and conspiratorial, I think the pain is part of the plan. I think the pain is the plan. I think the higher gas prices, which in any other time in our history would be a bug for any administration, Democrat or Republican, they'd be freaking out. But here I think it's the plan. And we're going to find out. I mean, if you vote for more of this, then I guess, I guess they're right. But if you want dollar eighty nine gasoline, that's also within reach. You just have to do the right thing, and you know what that is. They don't understand how our economy works. How is it they're going to understand what they're doing with the Russian economy? Because they claim they do, right? They claim that they've opened the hood and they've tinkered with everything and they've really done a number on it. But I, I question that because I don't think they even know our own. Or they don't care. And buying oil from Russia undercuts the entire argument about the transition. If we really were in a transition, we'd swear off even their oil. But we're not. What's going on here? Well, if you're a Sam Elliott fan... He is about to be totally canceled. Get all the Sam Elliott you can, because they're coming for Sam Elliott. I'll tell you why, coming up in the next half hour here on DSA. 210-599-5555. Also coming up, right after the news, um, our favorite Virginia liberal, Azra Nomani. I say that kiddingly, because she really, she she voted for Obama. She's a, she's a liberal Democrat. But this critical race theory thing and taking meritocracy out of her kid's school has activated her. She's become a great organizer and leader of this uh, parental uprising that, of course, has transformed Virginia politics and I think is going to be felt in a lot of political races this year and in 2024. It's a great thing, and we welcome all hands on deck, right? We w- So I don't care what you were before or how you voted before or who you were before. If you're a parent and you're having a red pill moment, you're you're having a, a matrix realization, you know, in the movie where he takes the plug out of the back of his head and suddenly he realizes he's in the matrix. If you're having that moment, all are welcome. We'll take you. We'll have you. We need everybody. So we're going to talk to her here coming up, 210-599-5555. Yeah, it's... Um, I see where the French president today said he had a long phone call with Putin and it didn't go well at all. Uh, Macron says, prepare for the worst. There was nothing in the phone call that reassured us. A source in Macron's office was quoted as saying. They claim Macron told Putin, you're lying to yourself and uh, this isn't working out the way you thought it would. Macron said that Putin is determined to go on, to go forward. 
you know, one of the things you hear a lot about this um, invasion of Ukraine, and I don't think that everybody who says it is necessarily a Putin apologist. Some of them are. But you hear people say, well, he was worried. He was worried about Ukraine joining NATO. He was worried about, uh, you know, you got to understand, Jack. It's like, I've had people say to me, it's like when, it's like how we felt when there were Soviet missiles in Cuba. And Cuba was off our shore, not bordering us. You can find a lot of historical comparisons where a country perceives a threat and preemptively acts on the threat. This is not one of those times. I'll tell you why. Okay. The the Cuba uh, example falls apart very quickly because in the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962, those were offensive weapons. So they were programmed and targeted on U.S. cities. In fact, San Antonio is one of the cities because of Kelly Air Force Base. Offensive weapons 90 miles off our shore by a country that had that had specifically threatened to use them. NATO is a defensive alliance. NATO's charter, if you ever bother to read it, says that it exists solely for the purpose of defending NATO members against aggression or attack. So if you don't mess with NATO, NATO doesn't do anything. And actually, even when you mess with NATO, it sometimes doesn't do anything. It's not only a defensive alliance on paper, it's pretty clearly a defensive alliance in reality. Its members do not actually even contribute to it what they have signed up to contribute. It would be like if you were having a potluck dinner and everybody said they would bring something and then everybody showed up with a snack size vending machine bag of chips. That's what NATO members have made out of NATO. So there's no way you can compare offensive Soviet missiles in Cuba to a defensive alliance that isn't even equipped to do what it's supposed to do. Probably the better analogy for Ukraine is that Ukraine was kind of like Putin's Hong Kong. It was a place with politics and markets that were certainly not free, capital F, but freer than Russia. And just as Beijing had a real problem with having Hong Kong right on its front door step, Putin has that same insecurity about Ukraine. And Hong Kong was seen by Beijing as really part of China, should be part of China, should not be autonomous. Putin is trying to define Ukraine as something that we should have. We should have always had it. We've always had it before. We should never have not had it, and we need it now. So he can spin this any way he wants, and people can spin it for him. But no, it's not It's not a case of, well, he had no choice. We, we left him no choice. No. In fact, the only way you could say we left him no choice is probably looking weak and indecisive. We, we probably tempted him more than left him no choice. Anyway, just my take. Uh, let me play this for you again. This is the confrontation between Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee and a good friend of our show who's been on with us many times before, 
Azra Nomani, who was there to testify before Congresswoman Lee's committee on critical race theory. Here's what happened. We are grateful that the courts have responded to perceived discrimination. Uh, but in any event, what I would uh, clearly say, and you need to put down your camera, please. You need to put down your camera. You need to put down your camera. I understand that, but I need the witness. Why do I have to put down my camera? Because I'm already on video, so I don't need to be on yours. I mean, this is free speech. I've asked respectfully, and you choose not to be respectful, and so I will allow you to continue on. Thank you so very much. Azra Nomani is on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line, and if she would like to um, videotape her phone while she's talking to me, I am fine with that. Is that okay if I live stream this right now? Oh, yeah. I mean, what, uh, you know, I, I'm so vain. I'll, I'll, take any, I'll take any attention I can get. I, it's incredible that a politician does not want to be on camera. You finally found the one time. How many times did you want to just hear that audio clip over and over again, oh, right? I it's love it. I love it. So incredulous. And, again, you always wonder when you um, get a reaction that is disproportionate to the situation, what are they hiding? Yeah. Right? So give us the background. What were you there yes. for? What was this hearing yes. about? What was going on there? Yeah. All right. So uh, for anybody who might not know, in the summer of 2020, like a lot of parents, I became aware of this new phenomena of activism in our school system. My uh, son's school, Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology in Northern Virginia, got on the hit list of the activists who wanted to destroy merit in America. It's ranked number one school by U.S. News and World Report. And our little problem is that it's 70% Asian, 20% white, and 10% black, Hispanic, and multiracial. So seven out of 10 kids are minority uh, from Asia, and then eight out of 10, you know, uh, completely minority. Well, it wasn't the right type of minority. And so mm. this hearing, yeah, so this hearing was about discrimination against South Asians. Okay, you got to pay attention really carefully because it's very like delineated here south asians muslims and arabs so so like i had a million questions like why do you have to stop at you know the border with east asia why not coptic christians that are arabs you know like it's just so many issues but what i wanted to speak about and what i spoke about you know got three hours of sleep to get my right five minutes you know you're a radio guy so you know Mm -hmm. how fast those words go right well the theme that I was arguing was that the new phenomena of critical race theory in our schools is creating a new racism. And we know this from actions like our school board that put in a new admissions process that targeted Asians. And guess what? On Friday, just this past Friday, a federal judge ruled in a lawsuit that our families filed in that, in fact, we are correct that the school system had put in a system of discrimination. So they should, they should like, have all of their red flags should go up, right? That's systemic racism. But they didn't want to hear it. None of the Democrats mm-hmm. on the panel asked me a question about this crisis. Not a single one of them raised a word of concern. And then um, what I pointed out, you know, that critical race theory is one of the real ideological, like, um, uh, sort of sources for this new equity that is actually inequality. 
Well, she, Sheila Jackson Lee took her last five minutes that were the end of the hearing to berate me and to say that I was political and didn't understand critical race theory, was misrepresenting it, and then basically tried to shame me because she started bringing forward photos from civil rights struggle, including the photo of Emmett Till killed, which is a tragic, tragic photo. And as if I didn't know or didn't care, like I was some immigrant, you know, that just showed up and and was so obsessed with my own issues that I didn't care about the larger struggles. So I knew, you know, I know the rules of the um, house, the, the hearing proceedings that like when the time's up, the time's up and you can't just like take the mic and interrupt. So I just turned the camera on her speaking about the denial of critical race theory. And then I've, focused on the examples that I had brought with me to Congress. I have like a little Mary Poppins bag and in it I had the book Not My Idea that's taught in schools all across the country that says whiteness is a bad deal and then has a picture of a contract with the devil, the oppression matrix, the privilege bingo. You know, everybody's heard about these things now, but somehow the Democrats on the panel were just turning a blind eye. So I was filming my examples next you know, with her audio of her denial, and that's when she told me to stop filming. I Oh, and the uh, other thing I did was I turned my book, Not My Idea, around so that she could see that page that says mm-hmm. uh, whiteness is a bad deal. I wanted her to look at the reality because I knew that I wouldn't be able to speak, and that's why I said this is free speech because I was speaking in a nonverbal way. Yeah, it's it's see. I didn't know the part about showing you the pictures of Emmett Till and yeah. Um, I, I I I it's interesting to me that we used to teach our history because we felt it belonged to everyone. Now we yeah. weaponize it, yeah, uh, and we decide. Well, I get to use this and you don't. Um, right. I, does she? Do they not know that you are not their enemy? That if if they had just Googled <laughs> you, they would find out that. That, that you're a Democrat. I mean, what 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 is what is going on here with? And she talks about this will get distorted on right wing, yeah, um, media. Like you were an anchor on Fox News. I I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I I get the feeling they are so exposed on this issue, and it's frustrating them that they got away with it for so long. They yeah. can't live in a world where parents now know. Yeah, and where we have the courage to speak up. You know, because you know that I, for sure, I go, I speak at the school board, but I knew that what happens for anybody who doesn't know is that the Democrats are in power right now in the House of Representatives, so they have control of the committees. So the Democrats were able to name six witnesses on their side, and then the Republicans invited two witnesses, and I was one of those two. So mm-hmm. first of all, you know you're outnumbered, right? Mm-hmm. And then the and then the, the ruling party actually you know controls the dynamic of the right. of the hearing. And then the Dems never ask the Republican witnesses questions. So mm-hmm. I just was like, okay, I'm going to be a potted plant for some of it. So that's why I walked in with my lovely. DIY shirt called um, where in which I wrote I'm a mom not a domestic terrorist yeah. because that's that's the underlying um, threat you know by which that they, they are trying to silence us you know turning the law enforcement and others against us 
And and you know the story is very close to home there in Texas because mm-hmm. it was your school board member uh, Viola Garcia who was one of the signatories on the National School Board Association mm-hmm. letter, and the Texas School Board Association has not yet, you know, departed from the National School Board Association in its declaration of parents in, engaging in domestic terrorism, mm-hmm. and and Viola Garcia. Is I just learned from one of our smart Texas um, Twitter users in uh, Sheila Jackson Lee's district. Mm. So yeah, you know it's all very it's all politics. All politics is local, right? It's very close to home. All of this. Well, again, they now live in a world, ironically, uh, brought about by COVID and distance learning, where a lot more parents know a lot more about. Uh, what's going on? There's no putting that genie back in the bottle, and I think I think you saw in her uh, temper tantrum that frustration mm-hmm. with we we hate the fact that you people are horning in and 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 thinking you have some say over this, and and yeah. it is really just the beginning of what I think is a is a real revolution. We saw it in the election in Virginia, but you have to think, and they must be worried that it's going to repeat itself in a lot of other places. Yeah, and you know, to your earlier point about my being a Democrat all my life, and I'm a liberal, I self-proclaimed feminist. You know, I should check the box, right? I'm an immigrant. I'm a Muslim. I'm a single mom. Like, what? What am I not doing? I'm not accepting the narrative of yep. the victim yep. immigrant. And yep. what they know this is a problem because the other example now that we have of Democrats um, revolting within the party is the San Francisco recall of three yes. Democratic school board yeah. members. Yeah. yeah, by a vote of almost eight to ten voters in the city of progressive liberal voters. Yeah. People who well, are saying, you know, you're too woke for us. I hope this is just the beginning. I always feel better when I talk to you. I always think we're making you, progress and things are looking are. up and you've you've definitely please keep doing what you're doing and inspiring a lot of other people to do it too. Absolutely. And I want to tell your listeners, um, you know, if anybody understands that district and Viola Garcia school district, contact me at ostradefendinged.org because we're always looking for insight and um, and tips and all of that. So go to our website yes. and, and share anything that you know, because everything that you're doing, we care about. Defendinged.org. Azra Nomani, yeah. thank you tonight. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having us talk to you. All right. We'll talk care. to you again soon. All, all right. right. So you know who Sam Elliott is, right? And we all love Sam Elliott. And people really love his voice. He's a good actor, too. He was on a podcast. He was being interviewed on a podcast. And um, to give you a little background, he was asked about a movie. Not a movie that he's in but a movie that he had an opinion about it's called um the power of the dog and it's a western but it was filmed in new zealand and so the podcast host wanted to get sam elliott's take about this uh, movie and elliott goes off he calls the movie a pos He's dropping F-bombs. He's, he, you know, normally he's a very chill guy, right? He gets very worked up. And he says, um, you know, what bothers him about the movie is that the point of it is to, quote, eviscerate the American West, unquote. That's what the movie makers 
are bragging about. That's what they've done. They're, we're we're going we're gonna to tear apart the mythology of the American West. And then Sam Elliott says, um, what are all those dancers that those guys in New York who wear bow ties and nothing else, what are they? And the guy says, you mean Chippendale dancers? And Elliott says, yeah, well, that's what all these effing cowboys in that movie look like. They're all running around in chaps and no shirts. There's all these allusions to homosexuality throughout the effing movie. The lead character is a repressed gay man. And Elliot's not having it. And then he gets off on the director and he says, you know, she's a good director, but what the F does this woman from New Zealand know about the American West? And why is she shooting the movie in New Zealand and calling it Montana and saying, this is how it really was? I'm from Texas. I know how it was. He's got some strong opinions. Now he's trending on Twitter, and there are calls for his head. Because he has basically said, not everything is gay. Not everything in the West is gay. It's, it's important, before this gets completely out of hand, to note that at no time in the interview does he say anything disparaging about gay people past or present, and no one is denying that there may have been gay people in the American West. I guess there probably were. But I think what he's reacting to, and I don't want to put words in in his mouth, but I I think what he's reacting to is something you and I have noticed, which is that we have gone from what was probably a good idea, not hiding gay people, to putting gay people in every narrative, in every story, in every depiction of everything. I mean, it's, it's... kind of comical, right? This this overcompensation. So I, I get that it was not right or healthy to hide our gay brothers and sisters or to ask them to hide themselves. I, I, I get that. But do we now have to pretend that everything that happened in history was gay? So we have to well, I guess we have to do Westerns. I guess we have to do the Founding Fathers. <laughs> I guess we have to do, do we, the Mafia, you know. Um, and, and what are you really doing when you do that? Well, you'll probably intimidate some people into just going along with it and keeping their mouth shut. But you'll probably also make a lot of other people like Sam Elliott mad, people that wouldn't otherwise have been mad. So you're really not winning them over to your cause. You're not making them more sympathetic or empathetic. You're you're just pissing them off, pardon my language. And I, I think we've moved way beyond teaching acceptance. If that was ever what we were doing before, that's clearly not what we're doing now. Now we're just in some, some sort of competition to remake, redefine everything. And people see that. It's a sales job. And they're selling it in the popular culture. And they're selling it in the schools. They're selling it to children. Why, why would you do, what, in, in what sane universe would you do drag queen story hour? Why, why would you do that? Where, where is the natural 
progression of that. There isn't one. Obviously, it's the answer. And that's what I think is happening here. And so a guy like Sam Elliott, who's part of Hollywood, who's liberal, who's not looking for this fight, but who has a, a feeling, I guess, I mean, he made 1883 and he's been in other movies. I think he has a, I think he has a certain, he's earned, I'm going to say it. Again, he's not saying this. I'm going to say it. I think he's earned maybe more than just the average opinion about this this genre of movie making. You know, he knows a little more about it than the average bear. He's not like a Alec Baldwin, I'm making my first Western, you know. <laughs> Sam Elliott knows this this stuff. He's saying, what are you doing? And who are you to say this is how it really was? This is the truth. So everything that was made before was flawed and false and imperfect and incomplete because you didn't have these characters. Good for him. And I guess maybe he's also at that age, I feel like I'm at that age, where, you know, if they want to cancel me, cancel me. I I love what I do, don't get me wrong, but I figured out some time ago that any day now, I, I could say something, I could express an opinion, I may be doing it right this minute. That would be, that would be it. And I'm okay with it. Just so you know. I mean, I'll, I'll fight, but I'm okay with it. Because we have to just start saying what we know is true. We have to just start speaking what's in our hearts. And when you're young and you're starting out, you may not be able to do that. You may be afraid to do it. You may be right to be afraid to do it. That's why people like us, who are, have more of our career in the rearview mirror than we have in the windshield, have to say it. That's why a Sam Elliott, has to say it. Good for him for saying it. Beef bourguignon, Irish beef stew, beef brisket, Chateaubriand, sauerbraten, roast beef, Catalonian beef ragu. Beef. It's what's for dinner. Oh, man. Get you some Sam Elliott while you can. Because now that he's uh, criticized the Chippendales Cowboys... In the new movie, uh, The Power of the Dog, he's probably headed for the cancel culture heap. Um, I, I look. I don't know all of his background. I don't. I, I don't really don't know his politics. I know he has been a a Democrat and a, and he's spoken at Democratic events and like almost everyone in Hollywood, he probably is a liberal and a Democrat. But he's also reached a point in his life. And I'm, I'm not as old as him, but I, I've reached that point in my life where the filter has fallen off. You know, whatever the filter was before, career preservation, uh, not in polite company, blah, blah, blah. I, I just, you can't hold it in anymore. And um, good for him. You know there's people that want to say it. You know there's people that have noticed it. But they don't say it. And now he did. 
So they'll take Sam Elliott off to some re-education camp or whatever they're going to do. Maybe, 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 maybe he'll be gay. You know, maybe he'll be Samantha Elliott. I don't know. But my point is, um, it does not have to be in every depiction. We do not have to rewrite our history. We do not demonstrate tolerance, love of our fellow brothers and sisters by just distorting and rewriting everything that's lame and also dangerous. Uh, you know, I, I'm actually surprised that they're even making Westerns. I'm surprised that the Westerns didn't go a long time ago. And I, I, here's why I say that. You know, the West, as it actually was in, in our country's history, is a very inconvenient chapter, right? I mean, think about it. Everyone has a gun. There's little or no government. There's great self-sufficiency. You have to you have to do for yourself, you have to make your way. I mean, think about think about whatever you've ever read or heard about the about the West. And and granted, a lot of it is mythology and obviously what television portrayed was not 100% accurate, but when you read the the really great books about the frontier. There's a great book called The Buffalo Soldiers that is one of the best books. Uh, it was written in the 60s, but it's one of the best books about life on the frontier for Americans that were settling and moving across this continent. And The Buffalo Soldiers refers to the the all-black army regiments because what they did after the Civil War when they fir- formed the first black regiments they threw those guys, those units, those companies, were put on the frontier. It was the worst assignment, so naturally they got it. And they were, and 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 there was this political pressure not to have black military units near cities. So obviously, if you're putting them out in, you know, Nebraska, or or New Mexico, they're as far from the cities they can possibly be. So they're out there. They're, they're patrolling the frontier. They're protecting the settlements. But you learn about what it was like to live. And, and basically the West, the old West, is very inconvenient for the new America that we're getting in this culture, where you can't do anything without government, where uh, guns are, are, are uh, a negative unless they're in the hands of the government where we should defund the police, but we should also depend on the police. It's a weird contradiction in itself, right? You don't need a gun, but we should defund the people who have them. What? Anyway, I digress. 210-599-5555. Um, yeah, so the filter's fallen off. There's not much... Not much left. I do, I do yeah, have the, a question, the, though. What, the what thing does about, oh, yes, Sam Elliott do with his mustache if, if he becomes Samantha? Well, you can keep it. See, that's a very, see, that's, that's a very, uh, you're being very uh, homophobic and ignorant, Don. Obviously, you can keep it. Who's to say only men can have mustaches? I saw today that Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, has the big, I'm going to say a, another bad word, the kids are around. Lori Lightfoot, according to the Chicago Tribune, that well-known right-wing rag, 
Lori Lightfoot went on a temper tantrum recently uh, over a Columbus Day parade. It wasn't recently. It was last year when they were planning a Columbus Day parade. And, of course, Columbus is no good anymore. So she got on this tirade on this Zoom meeting, and she was angry that they were going to allow an Italian-American group to have a Columbus statue because she wanted them all removed from the city. And now they were going to parade a Columbus statue in their parade. And she yelled out at one point in the Zoom meeting, I've got the biggest dick in Chicago. So I guess Sam Elliott would keep the mustache because Lori Lightfoot has a big member. That's the biggest dick in Chicago, she says. That's not saying much for Chicago, by the way, if that's true. But that's what she said. She went on a whole tantrum about Italians and... um. She uh, this, is, this is some of what the Chicago Tribune article quotes her as saying. She made obscene comments um, about the effing statue. She called the lawyers on the city staff dicks and asked, what the F were you thinking? She said, you make some kind of secret agreement with Italians. You're out there stroking your dick over the Columbus statue. I'm trying to keep Chicago police officers from being shot, and you're trying to get them shot. She said, my dick is bigger than yours and the Italians. I have the biggest in Chicago. (laughs) Um, Can you imagine a a male mayor keeping his job after saying that? I mean, I can imagine a male mayor saying that. But... Lori Lightfoot will probably be reelected as many times as she runs in Chicago, right? That's what they do you, there. They sir, keep... I was polite and allowed you to spew your rhetoric, which is offensive to me and others, mm. but I'm trying to be polite and professional. Oh, that's good to know. Um, so, yeah. I'm not even I, I probably should be offended about the Italian part and the Columbus parade and all that. I'm not even I'm I'm so over that. I'm past that. I'm not offended by this anymore. I'm just laughing that this is what passes for leadership in what 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 is one of our great cities. Um but this is the arrogance that you get from entrenched power that can't be questioned. She knows that she could come to a news conference wearing a strap-on. She'd get reelected. This is where the Sheila Jackson Lee arrogance comes from. She's in a safe district. Doesn't matter what she does or says or knows or doesn't know. And um, th- th- these are the these are the leaders. Now, now, one more thing I'll say, and then I'll shut up about this. If you want to say, well, Jack, you know, uh, times will eventually change and times will catch up with these people. I would agree with you. Like, nothing is forever. One party rule in our cities isn't going to be forever. But then that takes us back to the conversation we were having last hour about college students. Because if things are going to get better, then that implies that young people coming up questioning the way things are will make them better. And that's where I I have to ask you, if you're being an optimist, where are you getting the optimism from? How are, how are, you, how are you seeing those students in Denton 
and saying, well, when they get their chance, when they get a crack at it, when, they, when they're finally in charge, things will get better. I'm just wondering. I, I want to believe you because I know that's what you're saying, what you're thinking. But where are you getting that? And I'll leave it right there. We recognize this. This is a transition. <laughs> than that lady. <laughs> oh, so next time you're pumping gas, it's not pumping gas. You're transitioning. Don't tell Sam Elliott you're transitioning. All right, on the JR poll, powered by Stevens Roofing, this was uh, something we touched on yesterday. I decided to make it the all-day poll question today. Uh, do you hope, do you want 2024 to be a rematch between Joe Biden and Donald Trump? And the truth is that as popular as Donald Trump is among Republicans and as popular as Joe Biden was or seemingly was in 2020 among Democrats, nobody wants this. Nobody wants this rematch. 91% said no. 9% said yes. And of the people saying no, there were people that don't want Trump to run again, but there were also people who said, yeah, well, I want him to run, but, but Lord, no, not, we don't want Biden running again. So it was all, it was, it was all of the above, you know. Just, no, we don't need to redo 2020. I'll be, I'll be very honest with you. I, and we'll talk more about this in the days ahead if I'm still employed here by KTSA, but, uh, that there really is a need to take what was effective and, uh, powerful about Trump's presidency and, and extend it and, and plant those seeds and grow it in the soil of our politics. And, and if we make it all about him and if we say, well, it has to be him and only he can do it and only he can be the messenger of it, to me that takes those ideas, those principles, and makes them really small, right? Like if you've got a really great idea, that idea becomes much bigger than one person. If you've got a terrible idea, it might require one person who can sell it, who can put it across, right? I, I I think these are great ideas. I think there's something about Trumpism or Trump populism or whatever you want to call it that conservatism needs. But it doesn't need him, is my point. So I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, February was Black History Month. March is Women's History Month. It's okay if you didn't know. We still have a lot of March left. It's Women's History Month. Um over at Northwest Missouri State University, they sent out a now-deleted tweet with a schedule of events for what they call, and I've never heard this word before, Wimink's History Month. It's W-O-M-Y-N-X. They got a huge backlash, richly deserved, and they took down the tweet. Wimink's History Month. I guess, you know how they, remember Latinx or Latinx was supposed to replace Latino, Latina, Hispanic. It was supposed to be gender inclusive, gender neutral, all genders, no genders, Latinx, Latinx, Latinx. <laughs> However you want to say it. I like Latinx, but whatever. Uh, so I guess they tried to make a word like that out of women, woman. Um, Womanx, womanix. 
I can't even say it. Um, so they said they were trying to be inclusive, and um, it didn't work, and they pulled it back. So now we don't get that word, apparently. Too bad. Um, isn't the idea of Women's History Month not to be inclusive? And here's what I mean by that. If women need their own month of historical recognition, it's debatable, by the way, but if that is your position, then why wouldn't you just really zero in on women? Why are you watering it down with people who claim to be, want to be, wish they were, identify as, dress up as? It, it, this is the part of this I don't get. This is the part of the the guy swimming in the women's swim meet that I don't get. It's not good for women. You're not you're not upholding, uplifting women. You can say you are. You know, I can say I'm seven feet tall and I play in the NBA, but that doesn't make it so. So um May is Jewish American Heritage Month. Do we need to call that Jewix? Uh, heritage. <laughs> I'm, just trying to, I'm just trying to work ahead. I like to be prepared. You know, I don't want to wait to the last minute to come up with the new word. So, womanks. We'll find out how many women like that word. I'll bet it's as uh, small a percentage as Hispanics liked Latinx or Latinx. Is it La- Latinx or Latinx? I know it's Latinx, but Latinx is more fun. So, yeah, we got to come up with some new words. We, apparently, we just have to come up with a lot of new words. I guess that's the bottom line to everything we talk about. The bottom line is we've got to come up with a new history, all new movies, all new books, all new words. We've got to come up with uh, 146 other genders. Are you working on all this? I hope you are because we've got a lot of work to do. We've been sitting around with the same culture for a long time. We've got a lot of work to do. Get busy. I'm, I'm hoping somebody will come up with that word for Jewish Heritage Month. I can't do everything, you know. I'm only one man with a radio show, maybe, possibly. We'll find out tomorrow. Tune in at 4. You'll see. We'll all find out together. Um, hope you have a great night, and I'll uh, hope to catch you back on the radio tomorrow. <laughs>